Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hard Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I want to talk about how you were defrosting from your night out, raising awareness and money for homelessness and Covenant House. Uh, Amazing job by you again. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But I want to go right to the basketball talk. We got a jam-packed show today, and who better to bring it up with than Keith Pompey? Keith Pompey, a lot has changed since we last talked to you like a month ago. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yourself? I cannot complain. Uh, Jeff raised a lot of money to for to help homeless kids last night. We're, we're doing some good stuff here, and the Sixers have a completely different look than when we last talked to you. They got Daryl Morey in charge. They got a new coach. They made a lot of changes the other day. Can you catch me up on everything that's going on here? Oh man, you, you, do you have that much time? <laughs> you know no. <laughs> no, he said no. <laughs> I mean, of course, like just to give you the Cliff Notes uh, version. Um, you know what they did is they they traded out Al Horford. They got under you know from underneath his contract, and in exchange they got a shooter, um, and 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 Danny Green. I'm about to say Danny Granger, Danny Green for him, right? Good shooter. And then they got um, they traded Josh Richardson, and then they got another good shooter, Seth Curry. I had to say that slow because I keep saying Steph Curry, but it's his younger brother Seth. And then they they picked up a guy by the name of Tyrese Maxey with the 21st pick, a guy that they were excited about because they felt like he slipped to him. And then in the second round, they uh, got another shooter, one who they've been targeting for a while, and his name is Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. He's one of the the top three-point shooters in NCA. And then they got a guy by the name of Paul Reed, who's like a 6'9", power forward slash center. So what they did is they basically um, have have shooters to go around Ben Simmons and Joel, and then they got a nice little slasher, um, a scoring point guard. So and then they got a you know a, another body at the five. So they're extremely excited about that. All right, so Keith, I actually was was thinking about playing back your last appearance, and because. The last time that you were on, we were all sitting here going, the sky is falling. There's nothing that they can do. And in that period of time, Daryl Morey comes in here and somehow they unload the unloadable contract. How, what did Daryl Morey do? How was he able to pull this off to get rid of Al Horford's contract and get value of the kind of guys they needed in return? Um, I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, I'm not going to say lucky. I'm not going to call him lucky at all. He's not lucky. But what he, what, it, what it was is, you know, you look at Oklahoma City Thunder is a team that's collecting first-round picks. The Sixers had a, a, a future first-round pick, and they had a second-rounder. And Oklahoma City Thunder, what they're doing is they're collecting players that teams don't want right now, and their teams are giving them draft picks to take those players. And what they're doing is they're flipping them. And you can look at it as if with, you know, with Danny Green. And then there was a player um, uh, yesterday who they, t- today or yesterday, uh, his name escapes me right now, but, um, uh, um, dang, his name escapes me, but they took and uh, acquired him from Phoenix. And then they took in, in for a couple of draft picks to get him. And then they took and traded him 
to um, the Clippers. I mean, to the uh, uh, and I trade him to Golden State to get we'll another. Figure out, we'll get him back. I think the Sixers had something to do with it. You think so? Wait, yeah, I think I think once he said lucky, I, th- I don't know. I want that kind of luck, by the way. You, you don't okay, hear me. So where where were we? Because I've been having some technical difficulties over here. What was Keith saying, Jeff? Bring it back. Well, I, I, he he was going through the way that these trades went, but I'm really impressed at the, how these trades went off. I mean, look, if you thought they were going to get rid of Al Horford, you were in the vast minority of people. So I don't know how they were able to pull that off and get green in return. So it, it's pretty impressive that they're able to do that. But to me, I think that getting Seth Curry was the bigger steal. Uh, he's a guy who fits into shooting exa- and, and fits into the role that moves people back to the place, except for Embiid, that they want to be. Ben Simmons wants to be a point guard. We want him to be a power forward. But the fact is, he wants to continue to be a point guard. He can now do that, right? Because now you have a situation where you have a potential starting five of Simmons at the point, Curry playing the shooting guard. You have Green that can play small forward. You move Tobias to power forward. And then you have Embiid if he's willing to play back to the basket. The only person, the one I'm worried about is Embiid. Because it's clear he doesn't want to play back to the basket. But now you have everybody that can be in the traditional basketball roles. And he has to buy in. If he doesn't buy in, you're going to have him sulking. Well, that that was my question. Is he going to buy in? What's going to happen there in terms of how this fits? I mean, they, they definitely have a different look and feel right now. If you just go over the roster right now, what they've turned over, you know, we'll try and get Keith back on. I had some little technical difficulties there. But at the same time, they rate, they got rid of Norvell Pell and, and Mariel Shayok. They waived them. Did anything surprise you about that? I was a little surprised. I, I don't know if it's because they got these three draft picks that they plan on making them two-way players because you can only have a certain number of two-way players on the team. Hey, so, can we have you back? Yeah, I'm back. We'll put you back up in a second when we get you. Um, you can only have a certain amount of two-way players. Right. So, so if, if they're concerned that they can't have Shyock and I mean, Pell, I don't think would have been on a two-way deal because he signed the deal last year. So if, if they don't have room for Shyock because they're considering that they have these three guys, and you mentioned that they got another guy, this guy from Dakota, yeah. uh, or this guy, Dakota Mathias from the Texas Legends, uh, who I don't know anything about. So apparently um, he's 25 years old, played for the Mavs G League team last year, averaged 18 points a game, uh, 3.1 assists per game, shot almost 40% on 8.93 pointers a game. I think we have Keith back in. I know he can hear us. Keith, we hear you? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? We got you. We got you. It's the Sixers <laughs> gremlins again. We were talking about them, and they dropped you off. <laughs> so, so Keith let, let me ask you now that we have Seth Curry and we have Danny Green assuming these trades go through and are finalized with no hitches unlike what Sacramento's deal um, is everybody now happy and when I say that are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid happy with what with what they did and where they're going to be next year you know, I mean, everyone's happy initially. I mean, you, you, I mean, after this, because you look back at it and you say to yourself, this is going to be 2017, 18 season all over again, where we have a bunch of shooters. 
But again, it's one of those things I think is their happiness is going to be, you know, once they play games. Because let's keep it real. I mean, everyone was happy last year at this time or, you know, in the beginning of the season of last year because they thought that they were going to play bully ball and, and do all these different things, and it just didn't work out. So I'm I'm going to say that they are happy right now, but we just have to see how it all works out. I think it's going to work out well, but we just have to see. Jeff and I were talking when you dropped off about the Sixers waving Norvell Pell and Marielle Shayok. I know I had seen your writing that Pell had a non-guaranteed contract that would have turned guaranteed for $1.5 million if, if it would have kept on the team. They also then signed Dakota Mathias, who played with the Mavs G League team. Uh, what are they going to do in terms of the other two-way player? One of the players they drafted going to take that spot, do you think? Is- it could be. It typically, I mean, it depends on what type of deal he does. Like, I think that Daryl Morey was talking about, um, you know, Daryl Morey was talking about signing um, Reed, uh, Paul Reed, to, like, a, ni- a, a nice long extension. Because I think when you get a two-way deal, it's a one-year deal, right? So then after that, you have to lock the person up. So I think for their flexibility, you know, what they can do is you can sign a guy to the roster to a nice long deal, and then you just assign him to the G League team whenever you want to, you know. And then if he's a good player, it's one of those things where you have his rights and you have him for a long time. So I don't know if that's what they're going to do with that. And, you know, the same thing with him and um, Isaiah Joe. So I don't know if that's an option because, if you know, it just seems like, you know, he wants options, optionality, and, and that's one of those things that Sam Hinkie did where he would get these guys, even if they were, let's just say, T.J. McConnell, an undrafted guy, you know, he locked them up for like five years. And they had these deals where they were they didn't make a lot of money, but they were non-guarantees. But at the same time, you know, these were guys who didn't get a lot of offers from other people, and they were excited, and they signed it. So because of this, we have this condensed schedule. We had the draft trade season started and now here comes free agency are the sixers done or are they going to go are they diving into free agency and how much money do they have they don't have a lot of money with free agency too i mean now again this they have like a mid-level exception that they can offer and that would be for like 5.7 million dollars a year now some teams what they do is they they could they could try to split it up you know what i mean split it in half but for the most part I mean, that's the best thing that they have to offer. Now, what they could do is they can go to a team and they can do a sign-and-trade where the team will pay that player, I mean, you know, assign that player to a, a lucrative deal, and then they can trade them to the 76ers. They could do that. But outside of that, you know, you're basically going to be getting guys on minimum salary deals. So when everyone is thinking like, oh, well, let's go after this guy and that guy, well, if it's a bidding war, then you're going to lose that bidding war. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, Daryl Morey, like we, like you said before, um, when I was cut off, that hey, we we said that Daryl Morey couldn't get underneath um, from underneath Al Horford's contract. I'm not going to say that again. So let's see what he can do. <laughs> but but I'm just here to tell you, it's, it's not going to be like last year where they were just throwing money at people, you know. No, I totally get it. You know, names you hear are, you know, Ersan Ilyasova got cut by the Bucks. 
but they're having their own issues with with their trade that seems to have fallen through. You hear names like Nerlens Noel. It seems like we're looking more at like a role player to fill because we have the big names that are going to be out there on the court, and it's just going to be on Doc to kind of put the pieces together. Is that is that what your feel is? Yeah, that's all it's going to. I mean, you know, right now you're looking for you're looking to fill out your roster. I mean, if you think about it, so you know, last year they had five guys on minimum salaries and they signed them to like one year deals, right? Um I'm talking about like uh Howell Neto, um Kyle Quint, you know, etc. That's what they these are the type of players they're looking for now. They I mean, you know, in the free agency thing. Now, they could possibly, I mean, you never say never. When even though everyone says to you, "Hey, we're not making any more trades. We're happy." Well, you don't believe them until you come to the trade deadline. You know what I mean? Because things could change, like overnight or within a matter of seconds. So, you know, it's one of those things, like they can always go out there and trade for a guy. Um, But at the same time, when we're talking about the free agent money, like these guys that they're going to get are basically guys for the minimum. Now, don't get me wrong, that, that does not mean you can't get quality. But, again, if you're a guy and you can come to here for the minimum, but you can get, like, a little bit more somewhere else, you're going to go somewhere else and get, get a little bit more. Okay, so Keith Pompey, you can, li- you can listen to him on his podcast. Where can they listen to you? Uh, you guys can listen to me on Locked On 76ers. Um, you can uh, subscribe to that podcast anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts at. And th- and that's that's the trust me. If you want to get information on the Sixers in the NBA, that's the podcast to get. But in addition to that, we got you on the Philadelphia Inquirer. And how how busy are Keith Pompey's fingers going to be for the next month? Come on, man, I'm tired now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah, can. It's going to be it's going to be crazy, man. It really is. It's 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 weird because I got so used to being at home and not, and not really doing anything. And now it's starting to rev up, you know, and I'm t- saying, whoa, is this happening? Is that happening? It's just crazy. Like, it's, believe it or not, it's weird. This is a weird time for everyone because we all go from, um, you know, most people go from not doing anything to now you got to play catch up and everything is in like warp speed, you know, and that's just how it is with the NBA right about now. So it is what it is, but hey. It's, it's a we job, encourage right? everybody. We <laughs> encourage everybody to read you in the Inquirer, follow you on Twitter at Pompeii on Sixers, catch you on the Locked On Sixers podcast, or when you join us, we always appreciate the time, Keith. Uh, get a little rest; you're going to need it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, I'm just going to enjoy my Giants when they win the NFC East. Oh, <laughs> uh, by, by the way, without even by, going. By the way, Keith, Keith has the best Michael Jordan memes having to do with the Eagles. He has mastered those. Yeah, you're, yeah, <laughs> I, even as an Eagles fan, your, your memes make me laugh, Keith. It's painful, but they make me laugh. <laughs> y- y'all know I just do fun-loving trash talk. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He has mastered that, too. We'll have you back to talk some more trash. Thanks so much for the time, Keith. All right, fellas. Bye. All right. Sounds good. Jeff, we're going to work on getting Zubin on the air. That that may take a few minutes. So let's just keep uh, talking real fast about what else we saw. Your thoughts on what Keith said uh anything surprise i mean obviously the moves were surprising everybody hoped they could get out from under horford but i mean 
you know, you, you see these things and it, it's like Daryl Morey traded away a bad fit for not a terrible price, got pieces that fit in that deal, drafted a ball hander who probably should have been picked earlier in the lottery. We can question his shooting, which I know you're looking for more of a shooter, but it, it seems like they got somebody that that'll be a good fit for the team. John Calipari raves about him. I know you're a fan of John Calipari, Jeff. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of John Calipari. <laughs> um, hmm, really? I, I don't. But how how interesting was it that in the, in the among the top picks, nobody from Duke, nobody from Kansas, nobody from Kentucky. Very interesting. Uh, it's it's a changing of the guard, and look, it, it goes to show you that there are there are players all over the country now at different schools. Yes, mm -hmm. there are the big name programs, right? But you can find diamonds in the rough at schools that that you haven't heard of before. Now, a school you have heard of before, Jeff, because I talk about it all the time. Is oh, here we go. Go ahead. I got a Rutgers man on the line here to, to join me today. Uh, Zubin Mahedin, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for the time. We got you there, Zubin. What's going on? How are um, you? Uh, we are thrilled to have you. I, I said to Jeff, um, you're going to let me talk to a Rutgers guy on the phone. It's so exciting. I basically overlapped you. So your second year when you were calling games at Rutgers was the year that the football yeah. team was 0-11. That was my freshman right. year there. And I always joke with Jeff that that was the year where they gave us tickets, transportation, and hot dogs and still couldn't get people to go to watch the football team play. <laughs> it, it, it was an interesting time there. Uh, it, it, it's, it's special to have you on because, you know, to get a Rutgers guy on and talk, I, I rave all the time. Jeff's a Michigan man. Um, you're also very excited for what's going on with the football team. Can you talk a little bit about your own love of Rutgers and your particular love of, of Coach Shiano, who's back now? It's funny. We had Greg on our radio show, I would say, a week and a half ago. And it was one of those things where, as you probably know, it was more of a marriage of convenience. Coach Ciano probably unfairly couldn't get another job in FBS football after what happened being associated unfairly, I think, with everything that went down at Penn State. Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, went out of his way to clear Greg Ciano. Urban Meyer said there was no issues. And as you saw, he tried to get the Tennessee job. That certainly didn't work out. And I think that there was probably only one job he was capable of getting, and that was the Rutgers job. And I think it's pretty fair that the Rutgers fan base only wanted one person to get the job, and that was Greg Schiano. And I think once all the politics cleared with Governor Murphy and former Governor Christie, and you just have to live in 2020. You have to be able to get private jets. You have to be able to build the facility. I think all the things that Coach Schiano was asking for are standard for big time programs. I think a lot of people within the state of New Jersey thought they were a little bit exorbitant, but the bottom line is that's the price of doing business. Um, I used to work in Iowa and Bob Bowlesby, who's now the commissioner of the big 12 conference. He was Iowa's athletic director at the time. And I remember I interviewed him once before a huge game where Iowa played Michigan at the big house. And I said to him, I said, how do you compete with Michigan? How do you compete with all these resources? And he looked me right in the face and said, the only thing worse than being in the college arms race is not being in the college arms race, right? So either you're going to get into this and be big boy football or you're not. I think it's great. Last thing I would tell you, you might remember four years ago, Michigan played Rutgers and Michigan won 78 nothing. I was this there. The spread, yeah, this year the spread is eight points. And it pains me to say this as a Rutgers grad, but the bottom line is over the last four years, they haven't been any better than they were in 2016. Um, so the fact that they've gone from a 78-point margin to an eight-point game, 
probably says a lot about Rutgers. It probably says a lot more about Michigan. Zubin, not only was Jeff there, he was texting me regularly. And as an ESPN man, I know you'll understand this. I had alerts on for Rutgers scores. That was a really long afternoon of alerts and Jeff texting me about how well that game went for Michigan. Well, well, to be fair, my text beat ESPN's alerts to you too. So yes. um, J- Jason, I can't tell you how excited he was to have you on just in general, but also so that, so that Rutgers would now be outmanning Michigan. What do you see, Zubin, with this team? Uh, what, what excites you about this Rutgers team? I think the thing that excites me for sure, and I got nothing against Coach Ash. I think Coach Ash was just one of the latest in a group of guys, whether it's Terry Shea or whomever, to sort of walk into the situation and just simply not realize how difficult this job is. Every coach, fill in the blank coach, says, we're going to build a fence around the state. I mean, you can just, you know, rinse and repeat, copy and paste that for every state university across the country. But I think until you really get to New Jersey, I just don't think I don't think anybody that's from outside of the Garden State realizes just how tough that really is. I don't think there's any coincidence. Coach is from New Jersey, and he gets it. He's still got that pipeline down in Florida where he served with the Hurricanes, and he's bringing some guys up. But I think he truly realizes not only does he have to probably fence the state off, like everybody says, he actually has the ability to do it and realizes how hard it is. Just to your point, I mean, think about the 78 nothing. And then you think about Jabril Peppers getting out of New Jersey. And you think about Rashawn Gary getting out of New Jersey. And you think about both of those guys ending up at Michigan. So it's one of those things where I think they look just far more competitive. Look, I know Michigan State turned the ball over seven times in that first game and people were stunned. And Rutgers won that game. And they've been feisty in some of these games, for sure. I just think even though the win-loss record doesn't necessarily reflect it, I think anybody, I don't think you have to be a football guy. I sit next to Keyshawn Johnson every morning. I don't know as much about football as he, but I think just my untrained eye can definitely say through the first few games of the second era of Shiano, they just look more crisp. They look more hungry. Even when the Indiana game was getting out of control, the Iowa State game was getting out of control, uh, they're fighting, they're clawing, and they just look like a different group. Like I said, I don't think the record's going to reflect it right away. But I definitely feel like if you watch them, they feel like they're a lot more competitive out there. And that's all the fans want. In the modern era, Greg is probably the only coach that's truly had a great amount of success. You mentioned the 0-11 team that Terry Shea had. I mean, this, this is maybe this is, a, this is just a Rutgers thing. But if I'm not mistaken, the following year after the 0-11 year, they were 5-6. and six, And Terry was the Big East coach of the year. Now, I understand that's a five-game improvement. If you're telling me that a coach went five and six and that was good enough to garner coach of the year consideration, I mean, what does that really say about the coach and the program? So uh, I think Greg is the only guy they wanted, as I mentioned at the top. And like I said, I think it's going to take a while for the wins to get there. But I think the recruiting is obviously picking up. And for me, the fan base is back. Donations will be back. I think people were just down on the program. I grew up in New Jersey. And my entire life, I spent the first year of my professional working career in New Jersey, 23 years of my life in New Jersey. And for the large portion of that time, uh, there was a tremendous amount of apathy around Rutgers football. It just didn't, in, you know, it just didn't embolden the state the way that it does now. When Coach Shiano was on our program a week and a half ago, I told him, I said, man, when I was growing up, there were no billboards. There were no block R's on the back of cars. There was none of that stuff. There wasn't the pride in the program. Uh, that there is now. So like I said, when you're a Rutgers fan, you take small wins. And you guys know this, the most important thing right now is to be in the Big Ten, right? Because once the musical chairs stop and the grant of rights 
gets lifted and they want to go to just five super conferences, right? The five power conferences break away and form a super conference. You don't want to be stuck in the Big East, which obviously doesn't play football these days. You don't want to be stuck in the AAC where Rutgers was for a small amount of time. Even if you're the 14th best team in a 14-team league, with all the TV money, the Big Ten network money, exposure on ESPN and Fox, you want to be in a major conference. You want to be, even if you're a bottom-rung team like a Maryland or a Rutgers and they join the league, haven't really made a ton of progress, when all the musical chairs stop and they basically say there's haves and have-nots, even though Rutgers has generally been a have-not, if they can get themselves into the have category, like being in the Big Ten, that's the most important thing for self-preservation in my mind. You know, all three of us on this call are, are, are New Jersey people. And I think we all can say, we shake our heads that there's so much talent in this in the state of New Jersey that leaves, the, and, and Rutgers always seems to be that school that everybody says has the ability to be a great program. And it's not just in football, it's, it's basketball too. I don't know about you. I, I know that you covered basketball and you had a show called Nightline when you were at Rutgers. Uh, the, the rack is one of the more underrated college arenas. Well, I would tell you, I think for people that are too young for that, and I appreciate you mentioning that's almost 20 years ago, but for people that are too young for the rack, if you watched the Rutgers basketball team last year, you probably saw how good the rack can be. Now they couldn't really win any games away from the rack, but they practically won every single game at the rack. And that was probably going to get them into the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1991. And the fact that they haven't been to the tournament since 1991 is really a mind blowing situation. When you think about the fact that all you really have to have is one player to lift you to the NCAA tournament, the fact that they haven't been there since 91 and probably would have made it last year for coach Michael uh, does say something. So you're right. But we were talking about this after coach Fiano hung up, I was talking to key because you know, USC where he went is used to getting everybody that they want. But think about this. Just, just think about the possible all-time New Jersey team. I'm just making this up off the top of my head. And I realize Rutgers can't get all these players, but you know, Seisman would be your quarterback from New Jersey. Ron Dane, who I think, I think is the best running back of his generation in college football. I had a chance to cover him with the Denver Broncos when I worked in Denver. He was from New Jersey. Mike Rozier, the great Nebraska running back, is from New Jersey. Dwayne Jarrett, the great USC wide receiver, was from uh, New Jersey. Greg Olson, the tight end who got hurt last night, he's from New Jersey. And then you go to basketball. Look, my other partner on the air, fellas, is Jay Williams, right? I mean, the guy's from Metuchen. Uh, Dante Jones played in the uh, Colonial Valley Conference, which is the high school league where I went. I went to Heightstown High School in East Windsor. He started at Rutgers, went to Duke. Uh, I remember my first professional job. One of my first assignments was to cover Dewan Wagner, who is a stud uh, at Camden High School. I used to work in South Jersey in my first job. And now I'm old enough for Dewan Wagner's got a kid, Dewan Wagner Jr., another guy from New Jersey. Uh, I believe uh, you remember Troy Murphy, lefty that went to Notre Dame. He was yep. from New Jersey. So there are so many dudes, you are right, not just in football, but in basketball. And other than Dante Jones briefly going to Rutgers and then transferring to Duke, Tim Thomas was another really big one, Patterson Catholic, when I was in high school from 1992 to 1996. None of these guys, he ended up going to Villanova. They just have not been able to grab any of these guys. And you just really – Luell Deng, I mean, the list could just go on and on. Uh, yeah, you really need Jason, to Jason's crying over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, to bring up this all is, these bad memories but uh, uh these are just facts I, I just deal in facts even though now i talk in the radio so they say don't worry just do informed speculation but i used to do sports center for a long time it was facts 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 but um i will tell you think about just all those names and the fact that they missed out on almost every single one of them well and i mean i'm gonna try not to cry over the names but some of the names you mentioned are the guys you get to work with now jay williams and Keyshawn. 
how special is it for you to have this show now? And, you know, you go from Sports Center, all the stuff that you did through the years, Iowa, Denver, everything, working in South Jersey. Now here you are on the big stage having done Sports Center and now being with Jay Will and Keyshawn, who probably not better guys who know their sports than those two. What's that like for you? Yeah, my job is just to get the best out of them. See, for me, it's one of those things where, you know, every once in a while I'll throw my opinion in, maybe be the conduit of the fans. So if you're listening to our show and they're saying something crazy, <laughs> I got to step in there and be like, fellas, 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 hang on a second. What are we talking about here? So I kind of play the role of the fan because the majority of people listening to the show are fans. They're obviously one percenters in their sports, but the most of us to just wish we could run out of the tunnel one day at the Rose Bowl or flip on a Duke jersey for one night. I mean, that's been their life. And we're just trying to live that for one night and if I can be the person or the conduit for the fan, I like to do it. I think the biggest difference for me is when you're working at night, when you're doing sports center and you're doing all these games and it was a really a thrill to, you know, sit next to Kenny Maine and Linda Cohn and John Anderson and Steve Levy and all these people I grew up watching and now call them colleagues is, is amazing. But after a game is over, you guys know, like after a game's over that you're finished watching, whether it's at your house, at a bar, you're over your friend's house, like it's hyped. I mean, you are hyped up, especially after your team wins. You don't have to manufacture any, any energy to get on a text chain to watch the post-game show, et cetera. But in the morning, it's a little bit different because you do have to manufacture the energy. The game has been over for probably seven hours or so. Uh, half your audience, if they're joining you at 6 o'clock in the morning, probably fell asleep midway through the third quarter. So they may not have seen the game because they got to get up and go to work. And we're fortunate enough that this is work. Um, but it's one of those things where the dynamic's a little bit different. After the game, there's so much adrenaline. There's so much blood flowing. It's great. The energy's there. Differences in the morning, you've got to kind of create that energy. So that's something I'm kind of getting used to a little bit. From having that natural high of the game is over, where are we going, what are we doing, who are we talking to, where are the press conferences, where are the context, what are the stats, what should we tell the viewers, are we going to go 40 minutes without a commercial break, are we going to take one right now so when we come back we can go full bore. All those decisions flying by the seat of your pants, I love all that stuff. I love that. This is a little bit more get prepared sit there, go from A to B to C to D, because we've got seven hours to put it all together. So totally different dynamic. I, I got to be honest with you, I kind of prefer the former one. I kind of like the energy. But this is just a great opportunity to really be the first word on ESPN every morning, and there's some value in that. Well, <clears throat> we can't wait to keep listening to this show. Um, we, we would love to have you back on again to talk more. I'll get to pick your brain on Rutgers, everything else about that. But we encourage everybody to give you guys a listen in the morning, and congratulations on the success you're having. It's been really fun to watch your rise, and we can't wait to see where you go next. Oh, appreciate you guys having me. Call me anytime. Thank you so much. Jeff, we're, I mean, I love I, – I could just keep asking Rutgers questions anyway, but uh, his journey is fun. Let me do the quick read. We'll get that out of the way for, for DB so that that's done. Then we'll go uh, – we'll talk for a second. We'll go into our Jay Wright interview. So um, at the end of our interview, it'll be the end of the, the listening day. So stay online at the website, thehardestsports.org, on Facebook, the DBAM app, or ask Alexa to play. That will conclude the broadcast day after our interview with Jay Wright. WWDB's licensed to operate on 8 to 60 kilohertz in Philadelphia with studio locations in Bella Kinwood. They're owned and operated by Beasley Media Group Licensee, LLC. All right, Jeff. So we've got the redone. Awesome interview with, with Zubin. Uh, thank you for letting me talk Rutgers. <laughs> All right. So we've talked Rutgers. Rutgers is on the rise. Let's now talk to a guy whose program has not been on the rise, but has been at the, the upper echelon of college basketball programs for a while now. Let's go to our conversation with Jay Wright. Good stuff. 
great to be joined by Villanova head coach Jay Wright. Coach, thanks for giving us a few minutes today. How are you doing? Glad to do it, guys. Good to talk to you. It's exciting times. It's, it's draft week. We'll obviously get to coaches versus cancer in a second, but we wanted to congratulate you. Another student athlete being drafted. Sadiq Bay going in the draft this week. Joins eight other Wildcats currently in the NBA. How proud are you when you realize, when you see them realize their dream? I'm probably just just happier um, for them than than I, I really. The pride comes from uh, the kind of people they are. You know, uh, the, the guys that are in the NBA. I like, you know, I, I, we take pride in, um, you know, how they conduct themselves on the floor, off the floor, how they stay connected to each other. That's you know, that's where we do really take our pride that. When you see them uh, reach their dreams and, and be drafted like that, you know it's it's their hard work. So you don't take as much pride in that as you do. Just um, just really feel a, a great deal of happiness for them and their families. It's 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 really well, nice. It's really nice to see them um, reach their dreams. Coach, when you see somebody like Sadiq make it to the NBA, uh, realizing their dreams, it's it's only the beginning of the next step. It's about community. Um, and it seems like you and your players continue your relationship beyond the days uh, when they are at Villanova. What's it like for you to see that the community continues even beyond uh, when they leave Villanova? Yeah, Jeff, that's, that's, what's, um, that's what we take pride in, you know, because – um, they 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 come here, uh, you know, like most high school players. You know, they, they're stars. Um, they they've had a lot of attention on on themselves individually, and we try to talk to them about being a part of something bigger than yourself, being a part of a community here at Villanova, being a part of a program that's had a lot of great players before you, and and to understand that that can actually make you your best self, and. Um, we, we we take a lot of pride in seeing them stay connected as a as a community, but also stay connected with their their teammates, the managers, the former assistants. Um, that that bond and, and that network that's it's a lifetime connection is is something we're really proud of. You know, you talk about being part of something bigger than themselves, and there's no greater example for what you all do than what Philadelphia has done in their efforts with coaches versus cancer. Uh, you've obviously been involved for 19 years now. I've seen you in writing and print tell stories about when you were approached by coaches Martelli and Dunphy, who we've been able to speak to in recent weeks about building up a Philadelphia version of coaches versus cancer. Can you talk about what you've all been able to do and what that means to you? Yeah. You know, Jason, I'm, I'm such a, small part of that I, I've been part of it from the beginning because of uh, Fran Dunphy and Phil Martelli I'm, I'm so um, in awe of what they have been able to do and what they continue to do but um, I, I remember back in, in the beginning when um, we, we uh, you know just had like you know the breakfast wasn't that big and we actually didn't have the breakfast in the beginning we had a small golf tournament and those guys just kept building it and building it, and 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 coming up with new ideas and you know to to build the preseason luncheon, the the, the breakfast, 
um, the the gala. We didn't have the gala in the beginning. The ball, we didn't have that. And to watch Phil and Fran and their wives um, really build that. I, I remember um, we had no corporate sponsors, none. And uh, Fran and Phil set up a luncheon with Fred DeBona, who was the CEO of uh, Blue Cross at the time. And um, we were going to ask him to be our first corporate sponsor. We went to lunch in his office up on the top of, of um, the com. I think it was the Comcast, but I'm not sure. But um, and he committed to us fifty thousand dollars as a corporate sponsor, and uh, and also told us that he had cancer, um, which he, you know, shortly after that died of cancer. But he started the corporate sponsorship, you know, and, and Phil and Fran, that was their idea that if we're going to grow this thing, we got to do it with the corporate community in Philadelphia. And, and um, there's, there's nowhere in the country where the six division one head coaches um, all work together. And now Steve Donahue's taking that over as the leader. Um, and it, it, it's, it's such, it speaks so much of Philadelphia basketball, Philadelphia tradition, big five basketball, and, and that's really strengthened um, our Philly six coaches versus cancer. You know, you talk about the growth of everything you've done. And obviously the, the annual breakfast is held after selection Sunday each year. And I, I saw a funny quote from you. You're talking about the challenges going in the day after with everything going on and fighting traffic in the city. And then you, you get to the event. And I saw you say every single time I come out there and think this is the best thing I ever did, all this NCAA stuff, you realize it doesn't mean anything that event, that thing is amazing. Uh, can you talk it's about so what true. it's like to be there with the families yeah. and the survivors at that event and, and how that really brings it all home for what this is really about? Yeah, you're right, Jason. It's, it, I know, I swear, I, I know I'll hopefully, um, if we get to do it this year, we probably won't, but the next year we do it, I'll probably feel the same way because you're up all night the night before you know, when you're getting your info on the team you're going to play, you're making decisions about your travel and you're doing your media and, you know, and then you finally get home and you haven't seen your family all day, you know, so you try to at least spend some time with your wife. Now you get to bed, it's like one or two. And, um, and then you're getting up cause you got to drive down to the palestra from out here on the main line, you know, and you get up at like five thirty, six o'clock. Cause I think we have to be down at like seven or something. I don't know. And, and I'm, you know, getting up in the morning, I'm like, this is crazy, man. What are we doing? Like, I, and then you get down there and, and it, it, you know, right away you, you meet the sponsors who have put so much into it. Then you meet the, the, all the survivors and you want to meet the people that have been there. Uh, and then you hear about the people that just passed away and you see the Philadelphia basketball community in the, in really the, the height of basketball excitement in our country, you know, the day after Selection Sunday, you're getting ready to start the tournament. Everybody's filling out their pools. Everything's about basketball. And then we we, we really um, kind of shut that down and talk about uh, this fight against cancer and, and really what's important in life. And this community we have, this Philadelphia basketball community and this Philly Six coaches community, um, it's so inspiring. And I always, you know, my, my assistants always say, like, you got to be back by 10. we got a meeting. I wind up hanging down there, talking to everybody. I usually get back 11, 12, and, and they know it now. And I just say, like, man, it was just such an amazing morning, and it just keeps everything in perspective. And I think it's really helped 
us in in our approach to the NCAA tournament, like to start it that way and really think about the survivors, the the, the fighters, the people that are fighting cancer and, and not like this is life or death, whether you win an NCAA tournament or not. You've gone through a season at that point um, playing against other of the Philly Six coaches and their teams, fighting like cats and dogs. What's it like to then come together um, and do this common cause and be an example for your own student athletes and be part of this, if nothing, if no better word than a fraternity of coaches. It really is. It, it is a fraternity. It's a brotherhood. Um, and, and coaches versus cancer and, and the fight against cancer is, is a big part of that connection. Um, the, the tradition of the big five is a big part of that connection to our respect, all of our respect for Philadelphia basketball and all the great coaches that have come before us and great players. Um, and I, I don't know about the other guys, but like I, I, I have a love hate for the big five games. I, I, I love the games and I love the tradition. I love that it's in Philly. Um, I love being a part of the big five tradition, um, but I hate going against, you know, when I win, when you win, you feel good, kind of relieved but you feel bad for the other guy, you know, cause you know, it's a local game and you know how much they mean. And then when you lose, you feel terrible, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's a really weird feeling. So once those, once for me, once those games are over, once we've played all the big five games, I kind of breathe a real sigh of relief and, and feel like, all right, that's over. They're my brothers. I can root for those guys. <laughs> I, because before that, I don't, you know, I don't want them to do anything well because I want to win. You know, but as soon as the games are over, I feel like, all right, good. Now we got – I can root for them to win their conferences. I can follow their games. I, I know we got coaches versus cancer coming up. Uh, if they're going in the tournament, we're rooting for each other. Um, so it, it's – by the time we meet for the breakfast, it's a really good feeling. We're all we're all behind each other. Um, it was funny one year. Um, I think it was 16 um, – at, at the breakfast, Steve Donahue and Penn had played against Kansas early in the year. <laughs> they played him a great game, and Steve said, hey, if you – you know, you guys could get matched up against Kansas in a final eight with a chance to go to the final four. And, you know, for me at that point, I'm not I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking about the next game. Um, but I, he said, if you need help. And I, by the time we got to that Kansas game, I remembered it. And I called him, and he was a great help in scouting and preparing for them. And, you know, we talked about it at the breakfast, and that's what I remembered. So, Coach, so Coach, now you're getting ready for your new season. Uh, how much do you look forward, even after all this time, how much do you look forward to the beginning of each season? Probably more than any season we've ever been a part of. Um, the, the anticipation for this year is the greatest because you, we've just been away from each other for so long. We've been away from it, playing games you know, since March, I think it was March 13th, if, if I remember correctly, was the day we came home from New York City and, and we were supposed to play that night against DePaul in the Big East tournament. And, um, you know, we've been away from it for so long and um, the chance to just play another team and and to, to really start the season, you know, and, and, and know that we're going we're gonna to get there because there's been so much question of whether we're even going to play. I know the guys are really, uh, really excited, and, and there's a, yeah, there, there's a anxiety about still like 
are we going to pass all of our COVID tests before we get there? You know, are we going to be able to play? You know, is our opponent going to pass their tests? Are they going to get to play? So I think once we get there, if we get to play that first game, we're, we're going to be thrilled like we've never been for the start of a season. How do you prepare? We've seen you talk about that strain that you mentioned of the additional concerns. It's not just the exodus on the court. It's did the test come back? You know, are they eligible to play? Are, are they unrestricted? As a coach, how do you prepare for the unexpected? And, and how do you prepare your student athletes to, you know, everything ended so abruptly last year. Change just happened. How do you prepare them for what could happen this season since nobody really knows? Well, you know, one of the things in, in our program that's a, that's a, a, a core value um, and a mantra is is that we, we control our attitudes, you know, and um, and that's all we really control. We've always talked about that here, and this is the greatest example um, that we don't have control of our lives, you know. Um, God's got control of our lives, and we, we never uh, thought about this pandemic. You know, we there's a number of times we tell our guys – you know, there's no reason to worry. Don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because usually the things that you worry about never happen and, and the things you never thought of do happen. And this is the greatest example. Like None of us ever, ever said, well, what if there's a pandemic, you know, and we can't play next year? What are we going to do? And we never thought of that. We, we, you know, we worried about what if um, I don't get enough shots or what if this recruit comes in and takes my spot? None of those things have happened, but the pandemic has, you know, so – what we control is our attitude and how we approach every day. And um, that's really what we're trying to do here every day is just, well, we, we practiced already this morning. Um, and, you know, we, we're grateful we got it another day in, you know, and we, 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 we look forward to tomorrow. And, and if we get an opportunity to practice again tomorrow, we're going to be grateful. We're going to really take advantage of it. And, and we're really living it day to day because we have learned from experience that it can change any day. So we're really trying to value the precious present and um, and take advantage of every opportunity we get to be on the court together. Coach, every team takes on its own personality. If you had to pick one word to describe this year's group, what would it be? Hmm. I would say I would say um, unselfish. You know, very. Uh, very um, respectful, um, team-oriented group. Um, I, I really like, almost to a fault, this, it's one of the things we're talking to the guys about, that they're almost, almost, and this is a good thing, but too coachable. You know, they always, they want to do the right thing. They want to tell, they want to do what we're asking them to do, not sometimes they don't make the right play because they're doing what we told them to look for you know, and if it if it's not there, they do it anyway to, to try to please us. They got to be, they got to be a little more aggressive and and uh, free minded, uh, but but definitely a really unselfish group. Well, coach, we we really appreciate the time you gave us. We thank you for everything you're doing for coaches versus cancer and raising awareness in the city. Wish you the best of luck with the season going forward, and look forward to hopefully catching up with you going forward in the future. Thanks, guys, and thanks for uh, really for supporting Coaches versus Cancer. We all we all really appreciate it. You have a great one. Thank you for the time, Coach. Take care, guys. Jeff, here we are again. Uh, 
talking to another amazing coach in this city, not just about the work they do on the court, but the unbelievable work they do off the court. Uh, we have now talked to eight coaches or administrators who have been involved in this program from the city six to Grant Dumphy and Phil Martelli. I am in awe of what they do and have done and have appreciated the time that they have each given us. Yeah. And, and it really is a fraternity unlike yeah, probably any city in this country, as far as when it comes to college sports and the camaraderie that they have, the fraternity they have, uh, the way they compete on the court and then afterwards come together for something great, the greater good. Um, and if anybody's missed any of those interviews, we've got them all up. You can listen to them on the podcast. You can listen to them uh, on our website, anywhere you can get our show, the Coaches versus Cancer series. Yeah, if you go to our website, thehardestsports.org, the second slide has a link to the page. If you go on our Facebook page, The Heart of Sports, uh, you can look in our video section, and there is a Coaches versus Cancer section. Uh, the Jay Wright uh, interview will go up right after the show. Uh, we can't thank the American Cancer Society of Philadelphia enough either for helping us set this up. Yeah, it, it's been it's been really good. I'm going to give you kudos on the air, Jeff. I know you don't like to take them, not just for sleeping out for homelessness, but this was your idea to, to reach out to them and see what we could do. And it turned into a series that's been eye-opening uh, to me at least. And I think for our listeners too. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've learned a lot and, and I think that uh, we're helping in our own small way. And I, and I think that's what's important is that we're, we're able to use this show, not only to talk sports, but talk about how sports can change society. And that's exactly what we want to do. Let's talk about how sports changed society last night a little bit. You and the NFL Alumni Association braved the weather. Uh, you were recognized. I know you don't like the personal recognition as one of the top three raisers in Pennsylvania for the Covenant House sleep out. So good on you. Uh, very well done. Again, this is your third year sleeping out. While it was cold, the weather was a little bit better than your. There family. was no nor'easter this year, so which which is it? But you know, as I told people the first year I did it, when they said, "Are oh, are they going to move the date because the nor'easter was blowing in?" Uh, unfortunately, homeless kids don't have the option of picking which day they're going to sleep out on the street, and so it's it's an, been an eye-opening experience to to see what these kids go through through no fault of their own and how, how much just giving a, a helping hand can change their lives. And I've seen it. Uh, I've met with these kids and, and I've met with the people, the staff that's over there at the covenant house and, and the great work that they're doing. And I'll do it as long as I can stay outside without uh, my teeth breaking from shivering too much. And people can find on our Facebook page and our Twitter account, the link to support Jeff's efforts with the NFL alumni. Uh, Jeff, what are we going to do next year? Are we can do our own team, hardest sports team? No. I, well, next year, I think we should. I think next year we'll do our hardest sports team. But in the meantime, okay, we, we got to talk a little union, dude. I know. They're getting some recognition, man. Yeah. I mean, look, the Andre Blake again is, is the goalie of the year. Jim Curtin is coach of the year. They got the, the, the supporter shield. I mean, this is an exciting team to watch. It is. And, uh, you know, Brendan Aronson was a close second for the young player of the year. Jose Martinez finished fourth for newcomer of the year. They will play again uh, next week on the 24th, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. They will have a home game. Uh, we'll see tomorrow night or tonight, I think, who they end up playing. 
it's it depends on who wins the Miami Nashville matchup. And Miami has some COVID issues. Yeah, uh, two of the top players aren't going to be playing. And the MLS came out this week. You sent this to me, saying if you have COVID problems, you will forfeit your game. Yeah, it's it's look. They have to do this. We we've been wondering this with a lot of these sports. What happens when you get into the playoffs? Because it's a set schedule, and if you have you know, like what they're doing with college football, unless they're going to move playoffs back and stuff, you run into a problem if one game can't be played in a bracket. So you have the MLS doing basically what's practical, saying, hey, look, if you can't play and we can't make it up in a couple of days, you're going to forfeit. And they, there's a, a bunch of other rules that they're considering. I don't know if they put them into play, but if like two games can't be played, then it's going to be the team with the better record or whatever that gets to move on. So if, if you're a player, if you weren't being careful beforehand, how would you like to go into the locker room and say, Hey, I went out the night before a couple nights ago, and now I've tested positive and our season's over as a result. Well, look, a lot of it was just missing a game. Now, all of a sudden it's, you know, this is it. And it's not just soccer right now. I mean, you look at all these leagues, teams that have to play in Pennsylvania are probably gonna have to wear masks. I believe Pitt and Virginia Tech tomorrow being played in Pitt, they're going to have to wear masks. Now, I don't know if that's the players on the field or just directed at the sidelines. In the NFL, the Eagles don't play at home again until the 30th. Pittsburgh did not get an exemption for the sidelines, so I don't know right. if it depends on what helmet and shield they wear. Uh, but you know, COVID is impacting all of these teams right now very significantly. The Eagles saw uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside they put on and a couple other players who've been exposed just look at the game sunday miles garrett won't be there he was put on the COVID exempt list today for the browns uh so all these teams are having to deal with the the climate that just everybody every day is having to deal with right now yeah and and last week we had three of the top five college football teams that couldn't play this weekend already we have number five texas a&m's that's postponed number 12 miami is postponed number 15 marshall is postponed uh colorado is not playing um, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem and they're getting to the point they can't make up these games. I know look, with Colorado is now kind of reverse course and, and said, Hey, if you can't play your game and we can't match you with another team that had a COVID related competitor that can't play you conference, I just don't know how you can do it. I mean, Colorado said, thanks, but no, thanks. We're not doing that. And they and they 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 told them three days beforehand or two days beforehand. So where were they going to find a college football team to play in two days? Look, some of these coaches are getting to the point where they feel like they're not having enough players to play. Rod Carey with Temple has been very clear that he does not believe that some of these games that have been played the last few weeks with the limitations that they've had with players with COVID should have been played. Miami almost didn't have enough players to play the game last week that they played. Well, that's it. When when you talk about player safety, it, when when it comes to COVID, it's not just about player safety with regard to who may contract the virus. It's whether or not they have enough players to play safe. We've we've heard in the NFL and some colleges where the whole you know the lines practice together. They go they go and and study together. They watch film together. If the whole offensive line is out then you're having situations where the backups who aren't getting all the reps are coming in there and, and they can get hurt. The quarterback can get hurt. The, the running back can get hurt. There is more player safety than just contracting the virus. Right now they quarantine together too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
you got a lot of these teams who they're trying to figure out how to make it work each day that it goes by. I don't envy what the coaches are going through. We talked a little bit about that with Jay Wright, who now he's got to worry about the regular stuff, but he's also got to worry about when he wakes up in the morning, who passed their tests. We talked about that with Jim Curtin. You know, he went to bed one night thinking he's going to have Jose Martinez on the field and he gets a text. And the next thing you know, he's talking to his team day of game, rearranging his whole lineup because Jose Martinez is out with COVID. All right. Well, yeah. And and so speaking of COVID, who's had more COVID than the Raiders? So so now the Raiders are going to be playing supposedly on on what Sunday night? Yes. We have two former Eagles coaches that are battling each other who coach together. And apparently they're not getting along very well right now. No? Well, Andy Reid's just a little PO'd about the fact that the last time they played the Raiders, the Raiders decided to, after they won, drive around and do a victory lap around the stadium. If if John Gruden's career was basically made by being Andy Reid's uh, coordinator, that's not how you repay and say, hey, thanks to the coaching tree of Andy Reid, is it? So you think he just comes out and blows their doors off? Well, Andy Reid, Andy Reid said, you know, in his own, you know, understated way, how annoyed he was at that. And Andy Reid doesn't often come out and say negative things. So he must be upset. We've got two minutes. I need to torture myself with Eagles. Um, Are they going to run the ball this week? Uh, Are they going to roll their quarterback out before the third quarter? Will we see anything? Which quarterback? Carson Wentz. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, will we see any of the things that this team needs to do? You know, they're passing on almost 64% of their plays this season. That's the third highest in the NFL with a quarterback who's been inconsistent at best. And an offensive line. Yeah, an offensive right. line that's that's fractured. You finally get your running back back. Am I gonna see something or am I just gonna lose my mind again? Nope, you're gonna say the same thing. Only good thing is that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with Miles Garrett out with COVID, I don't have to see him make Jason Peters look silly all day. So that's a good thing. Oh, do I have to watch Baker Mayfield? Yeah, you do. Uh, gonna, uh, yeah, you do. No, I can't do it. Oh, you're we, we, I think we all know how I feel about the Browns. So I, which, can't, I just can't you, watch it. Which do you want to watch less? Baker Mayfield against the Eagles or Rutgers play Michigan on Saturday night? Oh no! I'll still I'll still want to watch Rutgers in Michigan. I'm just not going to be able to watch it, knowing that I that that I get to sit back, relax, and just watch the score roll up on the side that I'm on. All right. Well, even with Michigan at terrible this year, I still would love to have something good, Jeff. That's going to be the last thought for this week. I hope you liked it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.